excited to continue this series, I Am Legacy, and been a lot of good conversation in the hallways, been a lot of good Facebook traffic, been a lot of good information uh, with you person to person. I'm excited to see how God uses this, this, these messages to put us on mission so that we make a world which needs Jesus, needs Jesus Christ really, 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 really badly. Today, we're going to address this issue. How do you stand out in the crowd? When your face appears in, in public, when, you're, when your face comes up in, in a large crowd, do you stand out? Do you have a chance to stand out for Jesus Christ far above everybody else? Do you have a chance to say, well, you know what? That person loves Jesus Christ. That person loves Jesus Christ. When they're in the midst of a crowd, do you stand out? And does the radiance of Jesus Christ shine through you? Purposely, we have these faces in the crowd today. They're out there. They're looking back at you. Some of you were face-to-face in worship with someone you don't even know. They go here, they attend grace. But purposely we put them there so that they would stand out, head and shoulders above the rest. And so we have these faces all across uh, the front of our auditorium here today. People who love Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who right now happen to be head and shoulders above you. Are you head and shoulders above others when you walk this Christian life? Are you in a position and a condition where Christ can use you to the redemptive potential you've been created to be? Your face can stick out in the crowd. How does it stick out when it sticks out in the crowd? I mean, it should do something for you. I mean, even for me, when my face appears in public, do I stick out in the crowd? Is my face head and shoulders above everyone else for Jesus? Not for Jim, not to bring glory to me, but to bring glory to my Savior who gave me life and eternal life. Does your face stick out in a crowd when there's many people and you radiate the love of Jesus Christ? Good question. Often we see our faces sticking out in crowds. There's ways that, that God elevates us or gives us a chance, but sometimes it just happens out of, just out of nowhere. Just out of the blue, there's your face. It's like, how in the world did your face show up in amongst all those people? A long time ago, when I was 19 years old, the age of my son, who happens to be in this service today, when I was young and strong and fast, back in the day when I was a Washington Redskins fan, when you talk Washington Redskins, I was a diehard. I stood in line prior to this game for 23 hours to get tickets, NFC Championship game, Washington Redskins against the Dallas Cowboys. It was a game in which if you're a Redskins fan, you hated the Cowboys, And the chance for you to see the Cowboys get beat who were favored in this game, NFC Championship game, I had a chance to go and I stood in line. In fact, I was standing in line one point during with thousands of other people when they finally opened the gates. I was standing in line and I was pressed against so many people. There was a point that the person in front of me and the person behind me was so close to me that I was standing and my feet weren't even touching the ground. That's how close it was. So you can imagine the pressure. I wanted wanted a redskin ticket. I get these tickets. Four of us were able to go, my sister and two of our friends. We didn't know where they were. It didn't matter. I didn't care if I was in the farthest end zone, the farthest top. I was in the the stands at an NFC championship football game. Come to find out, it was a 50-yard line. Six rows up behind the Washington Redskins bench. I walked into this this, this RFK stadium, and I looked down and showed the usher. He said, you're down there, young man. I was like, yeah. I mean, I was a fanatic. I still root for the Redskins. I haven't had much to cheer about in about 100 years, but I still root for them. I'm loyal. So I went to this game, and there's a big play in this game, and John Riggins was the running back. And at that time, they were known for their offensive line called the Hogs, and they could block anybody, and Dallas was the favorite. And there was a fourth and one situation, which was a critical situation in this game. 
And the Redskins decided, Joe Gibbs said, let's go for it. Decide to go for it. And if they could get this first down, it would move them on. The Redskins went on to win this game 31-17 and went on to win the Super Bowl. I was there at that game, the NFC Championship, and I'm standing in the stands, and I'm amongst all these other faces. Meanwhile, my family's back home, and, and I'm there. And, and out, of the, out of nowhere, as I'm standing watching this play, the cameras scan thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and there's me on the big screen. In front of everybody. In fact, my mom said later that the phone began to ring off the hook. This four cell phones. Says, Jimmy at the game. Jimmy at the game. Everyone saw me on TV. In fact, I was working at Kmart, and that that next day when I went in, it was back in the day of VCRs. They recorded, and on twenty one of the TVs, they had me on freeze frame as I walked in back in appliance department. I just stuck out in the crowd, and some say, "No, did that really happen?" Yeah. This week I began. I've been searching for that clip for for it's been feels like a hundred years. I found it on YouTube. Look at Jim Brown in the crowd as a 19-year-old. Watch this. That was the first time he talked to him in about two months. The Redskins are going for it on fourth down. They'll go with all three of their tight ends and two running backs. Otis Wansley joins Riggins. This is a gutsy call. They lead 7-3. They're going for more. Riggins gets the carry. He got the first down with an extra run. He was hit behind the line of scrimmage and then weaned through Everson Wall. There I am. Check it out. It's not an urban legend. I was there. My face stuck out in the crowd. You can remove that face. Someone said, it looks like Josh. I like, yeah, a couple people said, it looks like Josh. So I was 19 then. There was a day I was 19. But have you ever been in a place where your face stuck out in the crowd? I'm going to challenge you as you walk in this life with Jesus Christ. Not just to walk through and just kind of just coast and go in cruise control. Not just to push buttons and and kind of say, well, I'm hoping for the rapture that Jesus come back so I can finally enjoy life. I'm going to challenge you to to make a difference. Not only a difference, but to live to the potential that Christ has created you to live. I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. If you need a Bible today, you didn't bring one, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. And turn to Genesis chapter 10. Once you turn to Genesis, and I want you to look at chapter 10. Hold your finger there in Genesis chapter 10. I want us to live our lives to the fullest as we leave this legacy that Christ has given us a chance to leave on planet Earth. I want us to live our lives to the fullest. Here's the problem, though, with our press in our world today. Here's the problem with legacy. Way too many people in our world get press time for the things they've done poorly. If you look at the internet, you look at TV, you look at news, after a while it's like, can't they show something that someone's done well? It's like it's all these reports, and it's like they get press time. Their face appears in the crowd by the way in which they've done something poorly. It's like, I don't need another poor story. Where are the Christians in our world that are standing up for Jesus Christ? Why aren't they getting press time for the way they're living and making a difference in our world? And here's the, here's the reality. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ have the living Holy Spirit in us for crying out loud. We have the, the, the eternal God, the triune God living in us. We have an unfair advantage. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We should live differently than other people who don't know Christ. Do you believe that, by the way? We should live different. Now, the point is, are we living differently? 
I'm going to challenge you through this message today is let your face be head and shoulders above everyone, not by your own strength, but by God's strength. All through this series, I've been stressing that you are legacy. The life you live today leaves a legacy. Your life matters. You can, you can and will pass down the baton to the next generation, something that you want to pass on to them. We have invested as much time as we can in our lives trying to live for Christ. But I watch Christian circles a lot. It's so easy for us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to, be, to get really on a bent, pointing out the faults of someone and saying, boy, I wonder why they're doing that. And wonder why they're, we spend so much time trying to correct and judge other people. If we ever put just a tenth of that energy into living for Christ, it'd be a different world. Quit wasting our time in trying to correct and point out all the faults of others. Let's live the way Christ intended us to live. During our family supper time, uh, couple last week, we are reading through the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We made a goal this year to read through the first five books. And so when the families gathered, no matter how many are gathered, we read through, we've been reading through the Old Testament. And just last week, we're reading through Genesis chapter 10. It happened to be my turn to read. And as we were reading this, I was looking through this, na- reading through this names, and I almost skipped there. I said, man, I don't want to read. That's a bunch of names. It's like so-and-so begat so-and-so, and he begat him, and he, she begat. And it's like, after a while, it's like a bunch of names. So he said, no, let's read it, because it's God's word. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. must be something life-changing in it for us. And so we thought that we would read Genesis chapter 10. I want you to stand with me, and I want you to look at Genesis chapter 10. I want to quickly look through some names. So we begin. If you, have a, if you have a Bible today, an IV Bible, mine just happens, says the table of nations. It's where all names have come from. And there's these lists of names that just appear. I mean, look, look at them in, in verse 2. Gomer, Magog. Look at just Javan, Tubal. It's like names. like, oh, boy, and I was trying to read through. I was probably trying to pull out my best Hebrew because I was a Hebrew ma- a minor in college. And, and so I was reading through, and after a while, I was like, all these people, and it was name, 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 name. And then it came to, look, look at verse 8. Verse 8, all of a sudden, everything changed. In verse 8, it's like this dude gets a paragraph. It's like all these other people are just names. And all of a sudden, out of this table of nations, is a guy that appears, he gets a paragraph. And I remember as I was reading, wait a minute, I said, how come he gets a paragraph? Well, let's read verses 8 through 9. Ready? Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. You may have a seat. It was like this, this guy appeared on the pages of Scripture. By the way, Nimrod. I mean, how many of you call someone, that's, you're Nimrod. I mean, of all the names, it's like Nimrod. I mean, when I think of Nimrod, I think a moron, idiot. It's not something that you, you call your friend or call your kid. I don't have a kid named Nimrod Brown. I wouldn't do it to him. So this name appears, and it's like, it intrigued me. It's like, here's this list of the Table Nation. By the way, if you're one of those people who loves ancestry and traces back where you came from, and you go back, I always say, you go back far enough, you're going to get to Adam. Okay, you can get to Adam and Eve. Where we all come from, P.O.S., I came from Adam and Eve, okay? But anyhow, if you trace the lineage back post-flood, all the nations come from chapter 10. And if you were able to, you could trace back. And out of all these nations comes a guy by the name of Nimrod. And I'm looking at that, and even when I was reading, I was intrigued. It's like, wow, he was a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And I was intrigued enough to study and began researching this name. 
And I began to walk back and look at his name. And so I studied in Hebrew. And the name Nimrod in Hebrew means rebel against God. It's like, huh, well, that makes sense. When I think of Nimrod, idiot, moron, rebel against God. But it says that he was a mighty warrior before God, doesn't it? It says that and, and, and to the Lord. He was a hunter before the Lord. And as I began to read and began to research and began to dig and dig and dig and looked at the, the, the scholarly resources of men and women who are much brighter than I am, I began to realize that this Nimrod guy was a warrior and he was a hunter of men. And I realized that his name, which means rebel, was anti-God. And then it began to hit me. He's known for all the wrong stuff. He gets a paragraph in the table of nations and he gets it because he was a Nimrod. Literally. And I got ticked. It's like, what about all these followers and these, these Yahweh followers, these people who love God? What about these people who go to Grace Community Church? Will we be known for anything other than our name? Or would just be another list of, and then out of the pages appears this person who really made a dent on the world and they did it anti-God. It got me thinking, you and I only get one chance to walk on planet Earth. And then we meet our Savior who, we'll meet him face to face at the Bema seat one day and, and the works that we've done for him will flash in front of us. And I'm convinced, by the way, that it's at that place and Revelation talks about he'll wipe away our tears. It happens in that moment because when we stand before our bloodstained Savior, And he looks at us, I think we'll weep because we'll wish we would have done so much more for our living God. And he will wipe away our tears. But I look at this passage and to be quite frank, I think about you only get one chance to live. It should shape the way, it should shape the way you do everything. It really should. We are Christ followers. We have a savior who has redeemed us and who has radically changed our lives. It should cause us to wake up in the morning, fill our nostrils full of air and say, God, let's go. This week, the blizzard hit, the 8.2-inch blizzard. It hit Elkhart County. It shut down everything. Jeez. Wouldn't you love to see a blizzard hit? And, and, and so I decided that uh, Kurt Huntsberger and I, we, we were planning on running Tuesday night outside. And, and um, so we decided that we would still run. I mean, we went out. The wind was blowing. We went down Benton Trails, a place I like to run. And, and uh, he texted me. He said, hey, you still want to do it? I said, man, I'm all in. We're going to run. Let's go run. So we met. And he texted me back. He says, uh, I said, you still in? He says, hey, you only get one chance to live. Let's go for it. So we decided we'd go out and run. It was probably the worst part of the wind and snow was piling up. You could barely see. We had headlamps on running at night. I had a flashlight in my hand. Snow was this deep. We're bumping each other. Every time we finished a mile, it was exciting. And I remember his thought, you only get one chance to live. And we were willing to run through a blizzard. It got me thinking, how do we live our lives? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to run through a blizzard for Jesus Christ, and we're gonna get one chance at it? Are we gonna make an imprint on this world? Here's a man who poured all of his energy into all the wrong stuff. And he goes down in history with a name like Nimrod. Seriously, think about that. He was gifted and skilled and created with talents that were given from God. And they got twisted and he began to follow the wrong God the little G. And he took all these abilities that God had given to him and he was anti-God. You know, seriously, when you think about that, God's created each one of us here to, in a unique way. And some of us always trying to be somebody else. Just be you. Take your personality, your gifts and your talents and quit trying to be someone else and live the way Christ intended you to live, but live it to the fullest. Live the way Christ intended you to live. 
and live head and shoulders above everyone else. Hear me again. He wants you to be you. Way too many people want to be someone else. But be you to the fullest. Turn to John chapter 10 and look at verse 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Be you, but be you to the fullest. Look at John chapter 10. Make your face stick out in a crowd. John chapter 10 and look at verse 10. Jesus is having this conversation. And he wants to reiterate to the people that are following him that they're secure in Christ and him. But then he says this, be careful though. John chapter 10 and verse 10. He says this, the thief comes only to what? What's your Bible say? Steal and what? Kill and what? Destroy. That sounds like a good friend, doesn't it? Hey, I'm gonna follow that God, that little God. You know what? He's gonna help me to be depleted, to be robbed and to be empty. I think I'll give my life and my journey to him. But he says, I, Jesus says, I have come that they may have what? Life and have it to the what? Fool. Not only, Jesus said, to give you life, but to live it to the full. In other words, he says, I want you to be the fullest version that I've created you to be. When I think about that and I think about Nimrod and I think about this passage and I think about all these names, God created all these people with all these weird names that are difficult to speak and they're difficult to pronounce and probably four people would pronounce most of them differently. Yet he created all of them with a purpose and he created all of them to live life to the fullest. Yet when I look at this passage, how many of these people got a paragraph? When I was reading that, it really struck me. I said, I'm gonna start asking God, God, give me a paragraph. God, I want a paragraph in this life. I want to make a difference. And I want a God, not for me, God, but for you. I want to stand head and shoulders above every other follower of Christ. Not for me, God, not for me, so that you get the glory. What would happen if we began each morning saying, God, use me in ways I've never been used for. God, take me to places I've never been before. Holy Spirit, let me be the person that you created me to be. Let me live to the redemptive potential that Jesus died on the cross for me to be. Live to the full, Jesus said. But way too many Christians get sidetracked and sidelined by Satan. And what does he do? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, Satan has robbed way too many Christians. I mean, think about it. When you've been robbed, you get exposed. Some of you have had your homes robbed. You ever meet someone who's had their house ransacked when they've been away? They come home and someone's broken open a window or they busted down the door. When someone gets ransacked or someone gets robbed, they begin to become defensive. In fact, they might call M&M security and say, hey, we need a security system in our house. And what happens when you get robbed, fear sets in. And when fear sets in, you don't live to the potential that God has created. So you can see it happen in the house. You get robbed, and all of a sudden they put deadbolts on and locks on, and, and they have these alarms that said, intruder, intruder, intruder. And so you go into your bedrooms, and you can see motion and movement. And so you live in this fear and think, oh, no, someone's going to come. And what happens, Christians take the posture of defense. And Satan robs, you get fearful. And if you let him rob enough, you become a person who draws away, who sits in the corners of your own little house and you're afraid of the enemy. And yet the word of God says that the, that the kingdom is advanced forcefully by forceful men and women. Listen to me a second. Way too many Christians have the posture of defense. We need to run the score up on the enemy and get on the offense. 
And yet we have this fearful, robbed position. I see it all the time. I watch teenagers and I watch young adults. It's like, oh, I'm afraid. It's because if I do this, something ha- this happened to me. And you let this event come in your life and Satan robbed your confidence or your security. And all of a sudden, you're in a defensive posture and you won't advance nothing. Yet Satan sits back and says, I won. That's not the picture of a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I came and I died on the cross and I was whipped I got a sword jammed in my side. I, I sweated blood drips from my face in the garden and I did it for you and you're gonna sit at home because you got ransacked and robbed and live in fear. Get on the offense. Offense scores points. While studying this word legacy, looked at all forms of it and we've been addressing the noun form of legacy throughout this series. A noun is a person, place, or thing. Had to look that up, almost forgot. It's a person, place, or thing. I wanted to get that correct for all my grammar teachers here and English. Anyhow, person, place, or thing. So we've been looking at how to live that. But if you look at the, the word legacy and you put it, think about this before it appears on the screen. Think about it. If you think about it in the adjective form, you ever hear someone say, hey, that was a legacy run. Your first thoughts all, that's pretty cool. That was like his legacy run. But if you put the, put the word legacy in the adjective form, Look how it's defined. Look at this. Of or pertaining to old or outdated computer hardware, software, or data that, while still functional, does not work well with up-to-date systems. And I stood and I read that and it's like, isn't that a picture of of a large part of the Christian church? Isn't that the picture? Outdated? While they, they're still functional, they still come and take up space, yet does not work well with up-to-date systems. They're not being all things to all men, like Paul said. And so we have these Christians who've moved legacy from noun to adjective. Our homes are loaded with outdated followers of Christ who are functional, yet they do not work well with up-to-date systems. Listen to me, church. It's time we get out of our defensive posture mode where the enemy has destroyed. It's time we fill the press and the world with news where Jesus is working through us, where the Redeemer is alive, and so people can turn and find hope instead of find someone who pulls them away from hope and they end up discouraged and want to kill themselves. We serve a Redeemer who gives life and hope beyond the grave for crying out loud. Yet... All we want to do is pull away and go in a defensive, prevent defense mode. And all across America in our churches are people who are in the prevent defense. I hate prevent defense. So live to the fullest ability that you can live. Be the exceptional you in the everyday stuff. So I look at this name, Nimrod. It's like, I think about him. How did he get to the point where he was really good. He was good, obviously. He must have been exceptional. He was a mighty warrior, the Bible says. He was a mighty hunter. So he must have done something to get to the point where he got really, really, really good at it. All of us have been given skills. I mean, you can do personality traits. You can do a variety of tests to see what your craft or skill or talent is. You start baseline. And the, the, the desire in our lives is for us to progressively, in this sanctification process, becoming more like Christ, to get better at what we're doing. That's why I love Colossians 3.23 when I think about being an exceptional you. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, 
work at it with all of your heart as if you were working for the Lord. I want you to think about that in this legacy concept today of your face in the crowd. Colossians 3.23 says this, whenever, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if you were working for the Lord. So in other words, God is your boss, God is your, your prof, God is your teacher, God is your employer. So in other words, when you're changing oil in your vehicle, work as if you're working through the Lord. When you're studying for an exam in college or high school, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're cooking supper and no one at the table appreciates it, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're being a dad, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're shooting a free throw in a basketball game, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're taking out the garbage and you don't want to and it's cold and it's snow on the sidewalk, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're changing a poopy diaper in Jesus' name, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're drilling holes all day on the assembly line and you think, boy, this job, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're giving a speech in high school or college, work as as if you're working for the Lord. When you're tackling the fullback coming out of the backfield, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're shoveling snow, when you leave the service today before the Super Bowl, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're being a stay-at-home mom and you wonder if you're making a difference, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're vacuum cleaning fuzzballs from the couch, work as if you're working for the Lord. When you're mowing the grass, when you're doing your chores on the farm, or when you're preaching on Sunday morning before the people that you dearly love, work as if you're working for the Lord. In other words, give it your best no matter what you do. And let me tell you something. Why is that? Because I could ask every employer in here, every boss, every manager that's in in this room. I can tell you, and they would tell you the same, people who work as if they're working for the Lord in the small stuff that might seem meaningless, their face sticks out in the crowd. These are the people who get promoted for Jesus to give him glory, not the person that gripes and complains every single day of their lives. Work as if you're working for the Lord. It changes the seemingly mundane, meaningless tasks that fill our day and it allows us to be exceptional for Jesus Christ. Shouldn't we be as followers of Christ? I can recall many times on the basketball court, this one just vividly sticks out. I play in adult league at Jimtown on Saturdays. Love doing it. I've been doing it for a long time. 15 years since I've been here at Grace. I was 41 years old. I was playing in a basketball game, and the guy was guarding. I just hawked him from end to end. When I played high school basketball, you, we pressed a lot, and we played baseline to baseline, and we guarded from baseline to baseline, and I was point guard, and I just guarded. And we're in this game, and it's, there's about three minutes left in the game, and I'm just all over this guy. I'm mean, defending him, denying the pass, and just, I mean, the whole game, it just didn't stop. I play defense clean down to the last buzzer, even if we're losing by 20. This guy, in the middle of the game of the... I was hawking him and guarding him. There was a whistle and the ball went out of bounds. He turned around and he says, dude, it's like 25. What is your problem? You've been hawking me the whole game, dude. What is your problem? I mean, almost at this volume. I said, dude, I'm doing it as this. I'm doing it for the Lord. <laughs> he didn't know what to do with that. Shouldn't we be all in and no matter what we do? Do whatever you do as if you're doing it for the Lord. 
Now that's legacy because that's a work ethic and that's what stands out in the crowd. And what happens was God elevates that. See, here's what I know to be true. Many of you in this room today, you want that job. You want that role. You want that position. You want the one that's above you. And you're like, how come they get it, man? How come they always get it? And it's like, and then there they are. And you want that one over there. Let me tell you, the majority of the time is because that person worked hard here to get there. It's not like you can just get it. I mean, isn't that what Jesus says in Luke 16, 10? He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with very much. As you live a life in faithfulness, as you're doing it for the Lord in the small, where you give everything. I mean, if you've got a shovel in your hand and there's six guys with a shovel, you're shoveling harder than everybody else. Because you're doing it for Jesus Christ, we're crying out loud. All you gotta do is picture. And there's been times I just picture mentally, I'm doing this as if I'm doing it for the Lord. And I just see my savior on the cross, breathing his last breath. And I think if he took all my sin to the cross, the least I can do is give a good effort of whatever I'm doing for him. Because ultimately our testimony and our legacy is lived by the way we live. It, you know, it begins, you know, I mean, just think, think about it. I'm convinced that too many of us want something bigger, but we aren't willing to work. We aren't willing to give our best to get there. Yet God says, be the best dad, be the best mom, be the best child and listen to your parents, honor your mother and father. Be the best shoe salesman, be the best janitor that the world has ever seen. Be the best greeter, be the best deacon that deeks, be the best usher that ushes. Do the best that you can do not for you, but for God. Be the best PD90Xer that you've ever been, even when it's Ad Ripper X and you want to punch the guy through the TV. Do it as if you were doing it for the Lord. No matter what it is. So you don't hear that much in our world today. So we want the easy road here and the easy road there, but the faces that stick out and above head and shoulders of rest are people who are willing to do it as if they're doing it for the Lord. That's why I get ticked when I read this. Like, where's the rest of these guys? They were followers of Yahweh. Why didn't they get a paragraph? And the dude that gets a paragraph is a Nimrod. It doesn't take much. It starts out small. In fact, she was a daughter of a grocer. She became a nun and went to India as a young woman. After studying nursing, she moved to the slums of Calcutta, And in 1948, she founded her order, which served the blind, the aged, the disabled, and the dying. In 1963, the Indian government awarded her the Lord of the Lotus for her services to the people of India. And in 1971, Pope Paul VI awarded her the first Pope John Peace Award. And in 1979, she received a Nobel Peace Prize. Although she later suffered from heart condition and died as a result of it, Her order included hundreds of centers in more than 90 countries with some 4,000 followers and hundreds of thousands of people being touched by her touch. She was succeeded by the Indian-born sister, Nirmala. She was beatified on October 19th, reaching the ranks of the blessed in the shortest time in the church's history. And she was four foot 11. Her name was Mother Teresa. I'm not getting into theology and understanding where she stood, but I believe she was a follower of Jesus Christ. 
and it began by scraping skin off a leper's arm unnoticed on the other side of the world because she wanted to do it as if she was doing it for the Lord. And it moved from there to feeding these people who were hungry, they were in the slums, and she said, those people need food. And so she rallied some troops together, let's get them food, unnoticed in our world today. And it moved to, to educating kids who were on the streets. And before we know it, she wins a Nobel Peace Prize, and it began by doing something small, but doing it as if she was doing it for the Lord. And you know what happened? Her face began to stick out in the crowd. Now that is legacy. Where are you making your mark? How are you doing as if you were doing it for the Lord? It will get noticed, by the way. It gets noticed not only by man, but it gets noticed by God. And he will equip you and resource you. In fact, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this. Listen to this verse. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, strengthening those who are fully committed to them. Second Chronicles 16.9. In other words, God right now, he's scanning the, 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 the universe. He's looking all over and he's trying to see who is heads and shoulders above the best for me. And he says, when he sees them, he strengthens you. And why does he strengthen us? so that we can do greater works for him and point people to him, not for us, but for him. Besides, Jesus told us in Luke 16, 10, whoever being trusted with little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Your legacy begins in the daily routine of life. It's how you love the ones you're surrounded while you're living life. It's by being faithful and giving your very best in everything you do because you're working for God. That coach that you can't stand, picture God and say, I'm doing it as if I'm doing it for the Lord. It changes everything. That's the kind of legacy you wanna pass down a million years from now. Be you, be the best you possible. Use the unfair advantage of the Holy Spirit Problem is Satan has robbed us and he's making us think that we're insignificant and we can never come back from this, this setback in our lives. And so we fall down and then we go back and hide because he's robbed us and, we, and we, we, we've fallen and, and we haven't repented to God. And so we sit in our lazy boys, eating our potato chips and we can hear the, the, the alarm that goes intruder, 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 intruder. And God's saying, get up and march, get up and march, get up and advance, run the score up on the enemy. Don't let him rob you of your legacy. Just some questions for you. Be really honest in your heart. Are you given everything you have for God in every area? I mean, even the way you care and love for your wives, the way you love for your husband, even in dating relationships, are you, are you loving and caring for that person as if you were doing it for the Lord? Are you making the most of every opportunity that comes your way? Opportunity comes, divine appointment appears on your path. Are you doing and doing it as if you were doing it for the Lord? Do you listen to the whispers of the Holy Spirit? It says, stop, help that person. Stop, pray for that person. Stop, send an email, send a text, love on them, give them a hug. Or are you standing out for Jesus in the crowd? Are you standing out head and shoulders? Or do you get lost in the crowd? 
And when the camera of life, the lenses of God come brushing through and he looks for the person who's standing out among 65,000 fans, does he see you head and shoulders? And when he does, does he strengthen you? It doesn't start with something big. On the way to the office this morning, it's cold, it's snowy, I'm dressed like this. I got a bunch of people's faces in the back of my Jeep on post. And there's this guy that's off the road. He ran off the road, he was in the snow. He's like 20 yards off the road. I mean, deep snow, up to my knees. And all these thoughts run through my mind. I should pull him out. I need to get to church. I need to go tell people how to be the church. I should stop. Nothing. Holy cow, Jim, you're going to church. You tell people how to be the church. Stop and be the church and don't go to church. Makes sense. But then this thought occurred to me. What if I pull my hatch up and he sees all these goofy faces in the back? Who do you think I am? <laughs> Serious. I mean, when's the last time you got someone to help you that got like everybody's face in the back of their Jeep? And then there's your face. <laughs> so I stopped. And I said, hey, can I help you? Is there something? I can do? And he's like, sure. And he was a sweet, sweet gentleman, Hispanic gentleman that just was, I said, do you have anybody that can help you? And the flesh side of you says, I hope somebody's coming. I hope somebody's coming. I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm... but then the spirit said, Jim, you need to help him. Let's listen to the spirit. I said, I have a chain. I have a hitch. I said, we can try to get this out. So I'm thinking, I'm gonna do this as I'm doing it for the Lord. So we got out, I got out and moved all my faces <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> it was hilarious, by the way. Didn't even try to explain it. Trey was like, you know, dude, what do you got in there? <laughs> Hooked up, it was hilarious. Hicked up the hitch, got the chain out and he was underneath, I had a flashlight and he has a grand dam. And, um, and I said, hey, is there a place you can hook up on the back? I said, if we can get hooked up. And then the thought occurred to me, it was pretty deep. If I go back in here, we're both going to get stuck. That'll be pretty. Everybody go by, look at Jim, look at him. <laughs> He's got a four-wheel driver. He can't even get out. <laughs> so we hooked it up, backed it up. And I'm telling you what, I hooked up to his. He hooked up. And I had snow up to my knees. And my faces were getting wet. And, and, and my hands were cold. And I put that thing in drive. And I said, I'm going to do this as I'm doing it for the Lord. I just tromped down. I drug him sideways out of that field. He was coming out of there. I'm serious, man. I'm sure when I got back there, the whole back of into his vehicle was to be ripped off, but I was getting him out of there for the Lord. <laughs> Do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. And do the one thing well. Let me explain this to you. I know in a world in which it's full of all kinds of needs, I'm there with you. When I see figures that say 16.7 million children go hungry every day, 47 million refugees in our world. When I know there's millions of orphan kids that don't have a mom or dad and some are living on slums and dumps trying to find food. When I see that, it bothers me. When I see kids starving with their bellies bloated, I'm deeply moved by that and I'm overwhelmed because how can I do anything? It's just too big. When I see unclean world water in, the, in Africa and people dying because they don't have water or when I see marriages that are falling apart or people dying of treatable diseases, it bothers me. When I see hurricanes, tsunamis hit and or earthquakes and there's flooding and I see homeless people in the streets of Chicago and South Bend, there's a part of me that says, how can I do anything? It's just too big. I'm overwhelmed. And I keep reminding myself, do one thing well, Jim. Do one thing well. See, there's so many good causes in our world that we could attach ourselves to. You and I could, and we could leave a legacy, and we could stand out by, by touching that. And so, and then I read Galatians chapter 6, 
In verse 9, it reminds me, says, Jim, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not get weary in doing good, for at the proper time you and I will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Exception clause there. If we do not give up, we'll reap a harvest. Yet if you spend any time with any of us here at Grace through a regular week, we get hundreds of needs that come in our hallways, people asking for help, legitimate help and legitimate needs, marriage crumbling and, and people need food and, and they need medical help. And it's just, it's just I mean, if, you, if you just look at the whole picture and, and say, how in the world can I help all this? It's like you would get overwhelmed and I do too. So you have to, you have to, and we talk about it in our hallways, do one thing well. Find a group and love on them. Find a person and love on them. Find a cause and fight for that. In other words, you can't disengage from the needs and say, well, it's just too much. But you must do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You gotta remember this today. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. As kids, as your parents, very common, they would say to you, If I do this for you, then that means your sister gets it too. If I give you this, then I have to give it to him. And so, okay, that's all. Hey, and here's the response again. That's okay, mom. Just give it to me. I won't tell anybody. But but you've heard that phrase. That means if I do for them, then that means I got to do for everyone. Why in the world do we let that theology run through the fabric of our minds when we see our world? No, do for one which what you wish you could do for everyone. You see, I could never go to every event on the calendar. Unbelievable good causes in our world in the ministries at Grace. I could never commit to every need that's there. Do I want to? Yes. I would get overwhelmed and I would, it would limit my effectiveness and your effectiveness. So even at Grace, we make conscious decisions. And sometimes people don't understand it, but here's why. We must do for one what we wish we could do for everyone and do it well. And we have done that. And you know, even sometimes you might get tired of hearing us talking about Asia's hope, but we have 42 children that we've rescued. And praise God, we have. Orphan kids. Some would have been in human sex slavery and spending their lives. Girls would have been raped for a couple bucks. Someone ended up on dumps. And by God's grace, you rescued them. And we have 42 kids on the other side of Southeast Asia. And we built two orphanages. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do good for them. And at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest and we will not give up because we will see the day when they graduate from school and they become the next doctors and leaders and pastors and missionaries in Southeast Asia. But it takes time. So we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Because sometimes the world seems so big. I mean, when you really think about, look, just take a look at our globe. When you think about how big our world really is, when you, when you, when you span out and take a look at our world, it's just huge. I mean, look how large. It's like, it's just overwhelming all the needs in our world. I mean, just in the United States alone, but I mean, even how can Grace Community Church, you just go into one little blip on the map, go into Grace Community Church. It's like, it's like even us, it's just, we're just like this one church. In the middle, no, how could we make a difference? But we decided years ago that we would. We would do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. And we said, we're going to build an orphanage in Thailand. And so we decided that we're going to go on the other side of the world to this small remote village in Chiang Mai. On the other side of the world, it's huge. I mean, it's a huge world, but we're going to do for one group what we wish we could do for everyone. And we're going to go into Chiang Mai, Thailand. 
and we're going to rescue 14 kids that didn't have a mom and a daddy that was able to take care of them, and we're going to tell them about Jesus Christ, and they're going to become the next leaders and shakers of, for Jesus Christ in Thailand. But it didn't stop there. It's like God said, you could do more. And so still in that same area, let's go to Batambang, Cambodia. Let's go there. It's just a plane flight three hours away or a bus trip that's, that's six, eight hours. And so we're going to go to Batambang. And Grace Community Church is going to reach this one dot on the large scale of things. And 24 kids, they're being rescued. And by the way, all 24 of them in the last three years have come to the same knowledge of Jesus Christ. They've been redeemed through Jesus Christ. Sometimes the world just seems so big. It just seems so big. It's just overwhelming. Yet, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That means this to you today. Every person must find their one thing. You got to find it. I know what mine is. Every time I go there and these kids call me daddy, and I get out of the vans and I get a hug from these kids and they say, daddy, I know I found my one thing. I'm going to see that those kids, just like my own blood kids, are going to be cared for and protected. And they're going to walk through this life with hope in Jesus Christ. Find your one thing. Who's that one person, that one cause that you could do everything for that you wish you could do for everyone? When you do this, you make a profound difference. One person at a time, one group at a time one city at a time. Don't waste your life. Stop investing in the wrong stuff. Do it exceptional. Do it for God and do it for one. God help us today. I pray God that we would do it exceptional. I pray we'd do it for you and we'd do it for one. I ask for your favor and blessing upon this group. I pray God that we would no longer live in a fashion in which we just blend into the crowd. I pray that we stand out for you, Jesus. May we be head and shoulders above the rest. And when you scan the earth and you range the earth looking for those hearts that are fully committed to you, you will find Grace Community Church and people who want to make a difference for you. Lead us, guide us, use us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week. God bless you.